On November 1, 1994, Christmas changed forever. Oh yes, Mariah Carey released her fourth studio album titled Merry Christmas. I absolutely own the album and I absolutely love the album. Now, before you think less of me, Merry Christmas is the best-selling Christmas album of all time. Uh, The lead single from the album was a global hit. It was the 19th best-selling digital single of the 20th century, uh, selling over 12 million copies globally. The song was the first holiday song uh, to sell as a ringtone and make double platinum, which is 2 million sold. The song, All I Want for Christmas is You, uh, a love song. In 2006, the New Yorker called the song one of the few worthy modern additions to the holiday canon. Have you heard the song? Um, I don't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own more than you could ever know. Make my wish dream come true. All I want for Christmas is you. Okay. I was going to play a little clip, but I forgot my iTunes. All right. Well, it's really a great song. Love the song. Uh, but is there really only, thing, only one thing that Mariah Carey needs for Christmas? Doesn't she need food and water? Uh, I think there's more beyond just her baby, so to speak. And I guess that's overthinking the song a little bit, but it is important for us to think about what we desire and need most. This Christmas series focuses on some things that you can't put underneath a tree, that you can't wrap in a box. These gifts can't be found on Black Friday at the mall or in a holiday circular ad, or you won't see commercials for these things on television. But they are all expensive gifts, and they all come from one place. When all of the Christmas thrill uh, fades from the new toys, when the tie doesn't match the fashion of the world anymore, when the socks get holes in them, and when the technology is quickly obsolete and antiquated, every one of these gifts will still be enriching our lives. These are the things we really want, and the first one is hope. Hope. What is hope? We we use hope differently than the Bible does. We might say, I hope it snows on Christmas, and so it reflects a certain wish or a desire that we have. Well, biblical hope is different. The Bible presents hope as waiting with confidence an eager expectation of something good. We trust and anticipate God working for our good. And he has, and he is, and he will, and that is hope. Now, as an illustration, we all need oxygen, right? Hope in stuff like retirement accounts, the next presidential candidate, personal achievement, is like an oxygen tank. There is a limited supply of hope that lasts only a short time. However, hope in God is an endless atmosphere providing limitless oxygen for everyone who breathes it. We're going to work through a bunch of points this morning, and by the end of it, I hope that we're breathing deeply the fresh air of hope in God. The root of hope is God. The root of hope is God. Hope is anchored in the unchanging character and nature of God. God is immutable, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, sovereign, supreme, loving, just, righteous, holy. We could go on and on. 
and that is who he is. Now, you're probably familiar with the uh, giant redwood trees off the coast of Northern California. They're famous trees. And these massive trees tower over the earth up to 378 feet. And they can live up to 2,000 years. Very impressive trees. Some of the, the branches of these giant redwoods are actually five feet in diameter. And the bark can be 12 inches thick. Now, I thought that the roots of a redwood would go really deep, but that's not how it is. They actually go out, and they're wide. Um, They're really only about five or six feet deep, but they can extend 100 feet away from the base of the tree. And it's fascinating. Now, where the redwoods really thrive, where they're able to withstand a lot of uh, storms and pressure, is where they grow in dense groves with interlaced root systems, where the roots just grow together. And these trees, I think, illustrate hope really well. When the root of our hope is interlaced with the character and nature of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can weather the tempests of life. When the roots of our hope are interlaced with the immovable roots of the Trinity, our hope is totally indestructible. In chapter 3, verses 21 through 25, the writer of Lamentations presents the profoundly deep roots of his hope, and he writes, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And then he proceeds to give six reasons for his hope. Number one, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The loving kindness of God is unrelenting. It doesn't stop. Number two, his mercies never come to an end. God's loving compassion has no expiration date. It lasts. Number three, they are new every morning. Every time we wake up and start a new day, uh, we begin a new experience of God's endless grace and favor. Number four, great is your faithfulness, he says. God is steady and firm. He will not fail or turn away. No matter what happens, God always follows through on his promises. Number five, he writes, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. God is the greatest inheritance, more than land, more than possessions. So real hope is in God. And the last one, number six, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. God is is so good. He is so good to wait expectantly for the goodness of God, to seek him with our whole heart, is to hope in him. Six very important roots of hope, things that help us immensely. God is called the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas in Psalm 65, 5. I like that. In other places of Scripture, God is called the hope of Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus is hope and the hope of glory. In Titus 2.13, Paul says Christians are waiting for their blessed hope. And then he defines what that blessed hope is. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So for Paul, what his blessed happy hope was, was the coming of the glory of Jesus Christ. God is the root of true hope. And all of us can be honest and say, you know, life feels quite desperate sometimes, uh, frantic at times. And so we need something that is strong and steady. 
God says in Psalm 75, verse 3, When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keeps steady its pillars. God is strong. He upholds the universe with the word of his power. Psalm 130, 5-7 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. As sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, God will fulfill every promise he has made. And God has made some amazing promises to us. There are attentive thousand reasons for us to wake up with hope tomorrow. We also have to realize that hope without God is defective hope. Hope without God is defective hope. A car without an engine is defective. A pumpkin pie without pumpkin is defective. Hope without God is defective. Now, I want to be clear on this. Outside of God, the material blessings that he gives us, there are a lot of good things to hope in. Things to look forward to, good expectations, great blessings, lots of things to hope in. But the moment that those things become our primary hope, that is the destruction of hope for us when they go above God. Dr. Jane Goodall, you might know that name, she's a brilliant woman and scientist and probably the world's foremost expert on chimpanzees. Uh, She is very accomplished. She received her PhD in ethology from Cambridge University in England. She is a committed Darwinist and claims this, quote, the only real difference between humans and chimps is our sophisticated language. On her website under the section Reasons for Hope, she writes this, it is easy to be overwhelmed by feelings of hopelessness as we look around the world. We are losing species at a terrible rate. The balance of nature is disturbed, and we are destroying our beautiful planet. We have fear about water supplies, where future energy will come from, and most recently, the developed world has been mired in an economic crisis. But in spite of all this, I do have hope, and my hope is based on four factors. And on the site, she continues to say what the four factors are. Here they are. One, the human brain. Two, the indomitable human spirit. Three, the resilience of nature. And four, the determination of young people. Now, I agree. All four of those things, tremendous things. Tremendous things. But have they ever conquered the depravity of the human soul? Only one thing is powerful enough to change the human heart and therefore change the world, God's grace. God's grace. She wrote, Surely we can use our problem-solving abilities, our brains, to find ways to live in harmony with nature. And I would respond, Our problem-solving cannot fix the effects of sin and restore creation. Dr. Goodall's hope is uncertain and unreliable. Her hope is defective. There is a more certain hope than all the things that she lists. Proverbs 11.7 says, When the wicked dies, his hope will perish. For those who hope primarily in material things, their hope dies when they do. Psalm 33.16-22 says, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope 
for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine." Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and he is our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Hope in God is never defective. It's effective. If there is no God, hope is dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 is really provocative and it gets your mind thinking, if in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied, Paul says. In other words, if Christ is a fabricated fairy tale made up as a way to help us, kind of like a crutch, get through this life only, and the reality of Christ stops at the moment we die and does not go on into eternity, then we are a miserable and a pitiable people. But what Paul writes next is so awesome. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's alive. Because Jesus is alive, we are not to be pitied. Because Jesus is alive, our faith in him is not in vain, and we have a real and glorious inheritance and hope. Our hope is far from defective, and God is not hiding his hope. He puts it on display. God invites you to hope in him. God invites you to hope in him. God invites everyone through the gospel to find hope in his son. His invitation continues to spread today all over the globe, and his powerful grace continues to restore people. Peter told Christians in 1 Peter 1.13 to set their hope fully on the grace that will be brought to them at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ is certain. It will happen. Grace will come in Christ. So set all of your hope on that reality of his future grace. That is where Peter is pointing. According to Ephesians 1.18 and 19, God has called us to hope. He has sovereignly enlightened the eyes of our hearts that we may know real hope. Now, isn't it great when you get an invitation to go over for dinner to friends, to a friend's house, especially when you know that those friends are really excellent cooks because you just know that you're going to have one of those meals and you're like, yes, I love when they make whatever and you go over and, and have it. And Isn't it fun to anticipate those dinners? Because you know they're coming all week and then you finally get there and you're like, can't wait for dinner tonight. And, And it's not even all about the dinner either. It's also about the people, the people, the friends. God is inviting you through his son to the most anticipated feast ever thrown. The invitation has already been sent. The preparations are being made. The party will happen and many will be there to savor and enjoy it with God. The anticipation is building. God is inviting you to hope in him, a hope that will fill you with endless delight. What a future we have in Jesus Christ. Hope is a glorious perspective for the future. Hope is a glorious perspective for the future. You know, the temptation within all of us, I think, at times 
is to look at people around us who are not living for Jesus Christ. They might be a, an agnostic, an atheist, or maybe just someone who says they believe, but they're, they're, just not, they're just not living for God. And we look at what they experience. We envy, to a certain extent, how they live. We don't agree with some of the choices that they make, but some of what they experience is sometimes really desirable to us. And there are a lot of people who hope in money, for example. We'll use it as an example. And they have a lot of cool stuff. And um, they give their lives to build these empires, oftentimes at the expense of their marriages and families and even friends, but we don't see all that. We just see the cool stuff and we want it, forgetting that oftentimes the cost to get what they're striving after is the very loss of genuine hope. And then our hope is tested because we see a false hope and that looks good on the surface, And then we begin to feel that God's hope is somehow less exciting and less fulfilling and less what we really desire. Sometimes plastic appears shinier than gold, but never is it more valuable, more precious, more expensive. All material things have an end, making them very changeable, very capricious. There is no eternal future in temporal things. God is is our bright future. God is our hope. Proverbs 23, 17 through 18 reads, let not your hope, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. You have a great and glorious future. An amazing, unparalleled future. Continue to fear God, trust Him, delight in Him, and you will never be severed from real and lasting and genuine hope. When our heart pursues God, great, great things happen for us. Listen to what God promises His people in Jeremiah 29, 11. You might be familiar with this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah writes two chapters later in 31.17, there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Hope exists for you um, in God because you have a certain and glorious future in Him, in this life and in the next. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our future is endless indulgence in the pleasures of God. And it's now and it's then. And I use indulgence and pleasures for a very specific reason. Just indulge. Whoop, knocking this off. Hello. I'm getting charismatic. Um, Just indulging in the character of God, taking it in, savoring it, can't get enough of it type of feeling. When you suffer through intense trials, the power to joyfully endure is future grace and glory. God is your destiny. God is your dream. Your glorious inheritance awaits you, so press on in faithful hope, for God will not let you down. He will not disappoint you. There is an outward use of our inward hope, a purpose that God has for it. He uses hope to transform the culture. God calls you to defend your hope. 
to defend your hope. People are desperate for hope. Amen? People are just grasping for anything to hope in. Uh, So many people are looking for one reason to wake up tomorrow morning. Uh, The Experience Project um, is an online social networking company that was started by a Stanford graduate named Armin Berjikli. The site is a way of people, uh, for people to anonymously share experiences and uh, dreams and hopes and stories online. People have shared over 34 million anonymous experiences on this site. And the tagline of the website is, find people who understand you which is interesting for an anonymous website. Uh, In May of 2012, someone added a post entitled, I am lonely. And uh, since then, of May of 2012, nobody has posted a response, an online response to her post. The first line of her post is, lonely, lost, and utterly without hope. She continues, I just graduated after five years of suffering and misery with nothing but a meaningless and relatively useless piece of paper. Then she shares about her lack of uh, friends, the loss of a boyfriend, and the gaining of a new boyfriend that she actually doesn't even really like. Uh, She shared how she can't break up with her boyfriend, and then she says this, But I have no one else right now. I have no other future. My graduation has left me with nothing but debt and regret, and I feel utterly hopeless and miserable. Sadly, she's not alone. She's not alone. A lot of people feel hopeless and miserable. Friends, we need to spread hope. We need to spread hope. We must be equipped and ready to articulate the gospel so people can um, actually encounter real and lasting hope. We can't be silent. We can't be intimidated to put our faith down here and to not really talk about it in the public sphere. We must open up for love's sake, for hope's sake, for God's sake. We must defend truth because truth brings hopefulness. We need to be brave. We need to talk openly about how Jesus is our hope and the hope of the world. And so then others can experience the hope that we have in Christ. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The, The word that Peter uses for defense is a legal technical term for a speech made in defense of something. So we have a hope in us. We understand why that hope is there. And then we must defend it. And I'm just wondering if we can defend it. Can you defend it? Do you know why you're a hopeful person? Are you a hopeful person? What is the root of the hope that you have in your life? Can you explain the gospel simply and thoroughly to someone else and why Jesus is the completeness and the fullness of your hope? Love demands that we are equipped and ready to defend hope openly. Perhaps one of the best places to start is your family, your family. You can pass hope to your kids. It's never too late, no matter where you are in your parenting. You can pass hope to your kids. It's not your responsibility to make your children hopeful. You can't do that. That will just frustrate you. 
Only God can do that. But God can use you mightily to pass hope to your children. The beginning of Psalm 78 talks about teaching the law and the glorious deeds of the Lord to our kids in order that, quote, the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. So joyfully and vividly teaching God's word to your kids is building a legacy of hope, generational hope. Listen, the most important thing, young parents, please listen closely. The most important thing you can pass your children is training in how to hope in God. The most important thing you can past your kids. It's not sports. It's not clubs or good schools or possessions or even opening up opportunity to them. Kids need hope. Generations need hope. How you parent is never simply about just your kids. It's got generations in view. And those generations need hope. And America has totally lost sight of hope. Real hope in God. We need to regain it and train it. Regain it and train it. It is a countercultural revolution. It's a joyful uprising against despair and despondency for generations. Never forget that a hopeful life is a happy life. A hopeful life is a happy life. We want to pass happiness and joy to generations. That's what we want to be about. Those who hope in God have a happiness unaffected by circumstance. It's it's a happiness and a joy that lasts, that perseveres, that endures. I quoted Titus 2.13 earlier, which said this, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. The word blessed means a deep-seated, transcendent happiness and joy. Blessed hope, joyful hope, radically happy hope. Waiting for a blessed hope is waiting for an enjoyable and pleasurable hope. The road to true happiness is hope in God. Colossians 1.23 calls it the hope of the gospel. Psalm 146.5 says, Blessed is he whose hope is in the Lord his God. Now living for Jesus is really tough at times. You come to suffer many times for Christ. But it guarantees something that you can't find anywhere else. True hope and joy. Proverbs 10.28 says, The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. So through faith in Jesus Christ, we are counted as righteous in Him. And we are the joyful ones. We are the happy ones who hope in Christ Faith in Christ releases an overflow of joy and peace and hope. Paul wrote in Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We're talking overflow, radical amounts, pouring it lavishly on you, hope. Just tons of hope. Can't measure the amount of hope. This is how hope works. Through faith, God fills us with joy and the power of the Holy Spirit produces an abundance of hope. As in, you have more than enough, more than expected. 
hope that spills over. Depression is ugly. Depression is ugly. And a reality for so many people in America. It's estimated to affect close to 45 million people in America. Well, what does depression look like and feel like? If any of you have been there, you know the answer to that. According to mayoclinic.com, symptoms of depression include feelings of sadness or unhappiness, loss of interest or pleasure in normal activities, feelings of worthlessness or guilt, fixating on past failures or blaming yourself when things aren't going right, and they're just a few. Nobody wants to live depressed lives. We struggle. We're a weak people, and so we're going to encounter that, and some days are just going to be awful. But nobody reads that list and says, that's what I'm aiming for. I want to be without any happiness in life. I just want to be miserable. Nobody aims at that. Now, we encounter these things because that's life, and that's real, and we're, we need God one of my heroes, Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, they called him the prince of all preachers, or the prince of preachers, he struggled deeply with depression. He said, quote, my spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. Have you been there? <laughs> Why am I even crying? I don't even know. I mean, it gets so bad, you can't even explain your sorrow. That's where Spurgeon was. He said, despondency is not a virtue. I believe it is a vice, he says. I am heartily ashamed of myself for falling into it, but I am sure there is no remedy for it like a holy faith in God. I'm like, boom! This is why I love Spurgeon. He fought against severe discouragement and fought for his greatest joy with the weapon of holy faith in God. Depression is dark and dismal, not happy and hopeful. Depression dampens the color of life. It's black and white. I can't see the vibrancy. It's just nothing here, and we can get so beat down. But there is a way to fight the dark days of the soul. There's a way to emerge on the other side. Hope is the expectation of good things from God's kind hand. And the greatest things come for the one who hopes in God. So fight your depression. Face it head on. And fight the darkness of your soul with hope in God. Believe the promises that he makes you. Study the Bible so that you know what promises he has made his people and what he says about you, and what he says about your future. Fight with hopeful faith. A hopeful life is a happy life, so hope in God. And we are again completely dependent upon his provision for hope in our lives. God is sovereign. Hope is really a gift from God. It's a gift from him to us. Doesn't it encourage you to know that when you are without hope, God enters into the mess of your life, into your hopelessness, and he restores hope. He gives you what you're looking for. We need to trust him to give us hope. David sang from Psalm 62, 5, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He pours it out. Hope comes from God. The songwriter cries out in Psalm 119, 49, Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. He makes us hope. He leads us by his grace to hope in his grace. 
We learn from 1 Peter 1.3 that according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God causes the new birth and part of causing your new birth and regeneration is leading you to a living and an alive hope in him. God causes our hope. The writer of Hebrews calls the hope that we have in Christ a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Even the death and resurrection of Jesus solidify our faith and hope in him. 1 Peter 1.21 God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your hope, faith, and hope are in God. He died so you could have hope. He died to give you a reason to wake up tomorrow morning. How beautiful it is that God did not leave us in hopelessness, but pursued us to restore hope in our lives. How many people put hope on their Christmas list? It's not going to be there. It's just not going to be there. Does anyone? Maybe someone does. Yet how many people long for hope more than everything on that Christmas list? It's at the top. Forbes.com released the most popular gifts of 2012. On the list were smartphones, tablet computers, MP3 players, toys. Hope was not found on the list on Forbes.com. You can't buy hope. And everything you can buy will not give you lasting hope. Will Furbies? Furbies were on the list. I looked at a Furby. I'm like, what is the purpose of that? What about the Lego Ninjago 9450 Epic Dragon Battle? That was on the list. It's like, oh, that looks scary. Or maybe the iPhone 5. That's up there. Five years from now, uh, will these things be the reasons that you get up in the morning? I'm going to get up tomorrow morning because I have an iPhone 5. And for the past 40 years, my iPhone 5 has been there with me through thick and thin the iPhone 5 is going to be obsolete in less than a year, probably. I mean, maybe not. Uh, Furby, the thing's going to break. I mean, I don't want a Furby anyway, but if you did have one, your kids probably love Furbies and I've offended you. But um, I think you see the point. We have a better, more lasting hope. And I hope you receive what your heart really craves for this Christmas. I hope you get what you need the most. I hope you get hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not led us without a reason for hope. Uh, God, you give us so much in Jesus Christ, and I pray that we can count our many blessings, that we can um, look past the materialism of our lives, and that we can um, treasure Jesus Christ above all else. I know the lasting hope of this congregation, and it is Jesus Christ. And I pray that each person here would go here extremely hopeful in all the promises that you give them for all those who trust and hope in you, um, who come with humility and repentance and faith saying, God, I need your son Jesus. I need a reason for hope because I've had some really dark days. Well, I pray that you give them hope. Uh, God, give us all hope because we need it. We get beat down We lose focus in life. So God, I know you're faithful and I know you will give us hope and I know you will sustain your people. You promise to. And so, so good. We love you. 
We worship you. We treasure you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the Lord's Supper that we get to reflect upon his blood that was shed, his body that was broken for us that we may have hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we come.